This is Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski. And you're listening to the Feminist Survival Project 2020. It's a podcast for people who feel overwhelmed and exhausted by everything they have to do and yet worry that they are not doing enough. Today's topic is the bikini industrial complex. Bikini industrial complex. The culturally constructed aspirational beauty ideal that is deliberately unreachable, that causes us all to have an abyss. Mm-hmm. We want to talk about the actual facts about the relationship between your body and health and some strategies that can even work to help to reduce the amount of stress that body image causes in your life. Let's start by putting in context the fact that the bikini industrial complex sells us on this physical beauty ideal by telling us that what they're really selling us is health. So we're going to keep talking about body size and shape corresponding to health because we're talking against that narrative that they've constructed. However, it's a false dichotomy. There is no relationship between health and physical size and shape. And also, we don't need to talk about health to talk about physical size and shape. It's not that being healthy is inherently better than not being healthy. Greetings and welcome, people with chronic disease, chronic illness, chronic pain. Your body's awesome too. And it's all the more important when you struggle with your health to be able to turn toward it with kindness and compassion and not criticism and resentment. Totally. And it does mean that when you are thin and also chronically ill, people assume that you're healthy because you are thin. Anyway, so let's yeah. get started with the story of how we came to understand these things. Where it all began is we weigh higher than our medically defined ideal weight. We always have our entire adult lives. So by the time I was in my early 30s, I'd spent my entire adult life weighing above my medically defined, quote, ideal weight. But I was like, I was an athlete. My body fat percentage was low. Yeah. And you know this because you were calculating. Yeah. Yeah. I monitored it carefully because I'm a health educator. I take health really seriously. And my body showed that I was an athlete, rock climbing, competitive swing dancing, long distance cycling. That was my body. Uh, And so I asked my medical provider when I moved up here in Western Massachusetts, I should also say at the same time that I had always been above my medically defined ideal weight, I had just started a job at Smith College, a woman's college, where I would go to tea on Fridays. Tea is where you go to the students' residences. You drink tea and you answer any of the questions they have about health. And a lot of times they talk to me about weight, nutrition, physical activity, body shape and size. So you need to know. I needed to know And I needed to be able to give answers that would feel comfortable in a room where there were probably people with active eating disorders or in recovery from disordered eating. Right. And there were probably people who had been told by their doctors that their weight was a medical problem. Yes. So I needed answers that were going to address the entire range of experiences people can have around body image. So... With the challenge of my own weight and the challenge of addressing those students, when I was at my annual exam, I asked my doctor, so I've always been 10 pounds over my medically defined ideal weight. How important is it 
that I lose that 10 pounds and get myself in the medically defined healthy range? That's a question I have always wanted to ask and never had the guts to. So I asked and she said, just lose five. <laughs> and I knew in that moment, <laughs> yeah. she had just made she that up. Made that shit up. She had just, she didn't know. 100% arbitrary. And how could it possibly do any harm? And five pounds, what percentage of your weight is that at that point? It's barely statistically significant. Right. Yeah. So you could change five pounds by like being less bloated one day. That's five pounds. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A good case of food poisoning. Yeah. Five pounds. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the digestion references. <laughs> so I did what I should have done in the first place, which is go to Google Scholar. Yeah. And I started doing the research. I started looking at the actual data about the relationship between weight and health. Were you surprised by what you found? I was shocked. Mm-hmm. I dismayed by the fact that I had been saying wrong stuff to students for yeah. my entire, I started teaching undergraduate classes in health in 2003. So it had been solidly seven, eight years that I had been saying wrong stuff to my students. And the ultimate source, the most condensed source of this information yes. was a model called Health at Every Size, Woo-hoo. which is a trademarked phrase. H-A-E-S. Hayes. Hayes. Is how it's known. And it's founded by Lindo Bacon, who is a nutritionist, who has done the work academically and intellectually. And basically what it said was, the relationship between health and weight is not what you think it is. And... Regardless of weight, everyone deserves access to medical care that does not assume their weight yeah. is a symptom. Yeah. Which was it's usually not. Yeah. My weight has been treated as a symptom by doctors my whole life. Tell us a story about that. Uh, I had knee pain as part of my chronic many, many kinds of pain that I when had. When you were how old? When I was 20. 20? 21, 22. I was running two miles a day every day and I had increasing knee pain, but I was running two miles a day. I was very fit and like a size 10 and like 150 pounds. So which is above my medically ideal weight. And I was having the same as me at the time. But so it was a little bit more than I was apparently supposed to weigh. So even though I was running two miles a day and very, very fit, my doctor was like, well, if you lose those 10 pounds, then, uh, you know, it'll be less stress on your knees. Yeah. (laughs) For the record, that is not how that works. That is not how that works. And also, um, it turned out that the pain was my rage hiding from me in my knees. And then when I finally addressed my repressed rage, I no longer have knee pain and I weigh like 30 pounds more than that now. So the pain evaporated when she addressed the emotions she'd been holding in her body, Mm -hmm. completed all those stress response cycles, Mm -hmm. the inflammation in her body went down and surprise, her pain diminished and disappeared yeah so because she was completing her stress response but they were totally totally fine with just scapegoating my weight because that's so much easier you can measure it you can see it on a scale it's a thing that you can do and it kind of makes a superficial sense that if something weighs more it's gonna like make more stress on the yeah so it's very easy bodies are not linear bodies adapt that's not how that works (laughs) yeah that is that is not how that works. Yeah. So I was so I was in my early 20s when I, the first time a doctor told me that my weight was a problem. Yeah. 
And we're not even close to... No. I was thin. Yeah. So... So I I found this research. Yeah. Here are just a few of the quick statistics that people find useful. It can be healthier to be 70 pounds over your medically defined ideal weight than it is to be five pounds under it. It turns out that people in the overweight category have the longest, healthiest lives compared to people in any other weight category, but including people in the, quote, normal, healthy weight category. These are all medically defined things. I'm going by the World Health Organization and the CDC, who have all bought this story. Yeah. Can I? Can we go back to Health at Every Size? Mm-hmm. The most compelling thing for me in that book was Lindo Bacon describes the history of the BMI chart and how it's basically propaganda for the weight loss industry. The people on the panel were mostly employed by the weight loss industry. Yes. BMI is very literally propaganda for the weight loss industry. So when we say medically defined, we don't mean defined by actual medical research. We mean defined by the medical community as influenced by the weight loss industry. There's there's a lot of problems with... Uh... <laughs> And so add to that in the research, what's called scientific weightism, which is the assumption that every researcher brings because they are human beings who are raised in the world. They assume just like I did Mm -hmm. that fat is dangerous, Mm -hmm. that having your weight over the thing is dangerous. And so they interpret their data as if that's true. And when I dug into the research with my PhD and public health yeah. lens on, uh-huh. what I realized was what their data said is not what their results said. Yeah. They said that it was weight and it wasn't weight. There's just no evidence that it was weight. It just, it just wasn't. And it was just... I looked at the charts. I compared the numbers. I looked at the statistical significance and I was so angry <laughs> Yeah, that... I had to do so much work to realize. To find the information. And especially because I want to be an evidence-based educator in both my approach to the education and in the content I teach. How can I give evidence-based information if the source of the evidence is biased and wrong? I was, and like, we get trained in public health to expect that to be true around issues like race and gender. Right. But I was not trained to be able to notice scientific weightism. No. And there is... So I got real mad. There was a turning point in the history of medicine when race was no longer acceptable explainer of medical problems where you couldn't say, well, that's wrong with you because you're black. Like, you aren't allowed to do that because that's just not true. But it still remains acceptable for you to blame weight for things. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, So... I understand if you are totally sure that everything you've ever been taught is that weight is a predictor of health and thinner is better. And I absolutely understand if every medical provider you've ever had has said this, and I am contradicting every medical provider you've ever had. But what I want to say is weight is a measure of gravity and nothing else. And this is actually a really simple thing to test. Go up high on an airplane and measure yourself there. You lost weight. (laughs) 
Yeah. Weight is a measure of gravity. But if we want to talk about like reducing your organ size, cut off your foot. That's about five pounds. Yeah. Remove your brain. That's five pounds of fat. You know what really helps people lose weight? Internment camps. Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Severe illness. Yeah. Chemotherapy. One time in my life when somebody said, Emily, you look really great. Oh, what yeah. have you been doing? Yeah. The answer that I gave sitting on the floor trying to eat food that tasted like paste to me because I was so, depressed. so depressed. Yeah. I looked up at her and said, uh, stress and depression. It was right after the yeah. 2006 presidential election. election yeah. And I was like, I just remember when that was help. a worst case scenario. George Bush was a worst case scenario. Yeah, I yeah. do remember. Yeah. Oh, you're my coping skills better now than they were then. <laughs> yeah. The one time that somebody's actually like complimented me on how like thin and hot I looked was in 1999. I developed ulcers in the back of my throat and I could not eat. I could barely swallow anything and I definitely couldn't eat solid food for seven to ten days. I was literally starving, but my belly was flat for like the first time in my whole life. Uh, yeah, I was 22. Yeah. And so my... My boyfriend's coworker was like, your girlfriend is hot. It's the first time anybody ever said anything like that about <laughs> my me. My girlfriend has throat ulcers. My, <laughs> my girlfriend is starving. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. We laugh at these stories. So fucked up. At the same time, when we crossed 40, I mean, within months of turning 40, mm -hmm. my body <laughs> changed yeah. in a very fundamental way. So that the same health behaviors did not result in the same body shape. Right. We are turning into mom, <laughs> which is like fine. It's totally That's true. great. That's 100% true. And, and yeah. I, I need to let, yes, my body's exactly like, like grandma's, grandma's body. Yeah, totally. it's, it's That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And I went through a process of my like pre-40s body of like getting to know that body and love it and accept it and embrace it for what it was. And, and then uh, it all changed. And then it all changed. Start from scratch, Emily, start from scratch. So I am still in the middle of the process yeah. of figuring out how to love that body. But the reason I say that is because um, diabetes runs in our family yeah. in a very big way. So I talked to an endocrinologist because I was measuring my blood sugar levels and my fasting blood sugars as measured at home were in the risk right level. Yeah, mine are too. So I went, yeah. Um, and that's genetic. Yeah, it's That's genetic. who we are. Yeah. Uh, so I went to my doctor and I no longer get weighed at my medical appointments. It's how been you, a very long time. How do you make that happen? Because they, they walk you back and they're like, I'm just going to take your weight real quick. Want to take off your shoes? And I say, uh, can we skip it? Or let's skip it. Or mm, not today. Or I'd rather not. I say, no, I'm not going to do that. The way you say it might result in a less successful. Yeah. More argument. Yeah, maybe. But I'm okay with argument. That's one of the differences between us. Yes, is you're okay with argument. <laughs> no, so, I'm not going to do that. I've never had any difficulty with any provider being like, no, but you have to. Never. Never once. Oh, I have every doctor except one. So maybe... Maybe it is because I'm saying it in the wrong yeah. way. But like, yeah. My successful maybe. way of saying it is, can I skip it? Can so, I skip it? So there I am at the endocrinologist's office. Time. Yeah. And uh, my endocrinologist does not know how much I weigh. Um, He's just met you for the first time. First time. This is my first ever appointment with him. And he asks me what I weigh. 
And I begin talking about the lack of relationship between weight and health, how there's not any causal connection that my weight is a measure of gravity and nothing else. I suggest that he read Health at Every Size. <laughs> and uh, he says, well, you look like your weight is not a problem right now. Jesus. <laughs> like, which is the opposite of him needing to know what your weight is. Oh, my God. Jesus right? I was Christ. like, okay. Can I tell you what one of the nurses said to me when I said, no, I don't want to do that. She said, well, you don't have to look as though my knowing my weight was the problem. Well, for a lot of people, it might be. Yeah. Well, I was like, no, I know what I weigh. I just don't want it in my medical records. I don't want it considered as a symptom of anything. Of anything. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't want you to take it into consideration. And my most recent medical experience was, again, I was at my annual exam, my gynecologist, oh. and she started talking to me about how's your nutrition, how's your exercise. And I started talking about health at every size. Mm -hmm. Please read this book. There's actually uh, not any particular reason to think about weight. In terms of health. And health. And she said, well, I mean, it's just standard practice mm -hmm. to ask about mm -hmm. weight. Mm -hmm. And I went, mm -hmm. I know. Mm -hmm. But standard practice doesn't mean it's evidence-based practice. Oh, yeah. And standard she practice doesn't mean looked it's at me like I had slapped her. <laughs> You kind of did. Like, you PhD slapped her. Yeah, because she didn't know who I was. She doesn't know what right, I do. Right, She doesn't know. No. <laughs> that in both books I have published. evidence-based practice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Standard practice isn't evidence-based practice. And I, like, I was just Preach. sad in that moment. Because yeah. <laughs> I was so frustrated uh, by the number of doctors I had talked uh, to who didn't know this, yeah. who didn't treat me. Yeah in a neutral way yeah it was my gynecologist Wait. office who were like okay that's fine we can skip it they yeah. were the only ones who were like that's fine so yeah. if you've had experiences like this yeah yeah so and we let us also caveat that our experiences are based in living straight size bodies like we, we can we shop are, at the absolutely mall. are yeah well we were like the biggest size they make at the mall yeah well and in like a boutique kind of store like the gap yeah yeah so so we can still shop at the gap but it's like the biggest size and sometimes they don't make certain things in those sizes and whatever. But so, that's that's a place of real privilege. Like, like the fact that I could go to the doctor yes. and my doctor said, no, your weight is not a problem. My endocrinologist means that I am not experiencing the kind of discrimination that many other people yes. experience. Yes. For all that. I mean, it's ridiculous that the size that we are still gets our weight gets blamed when you are not a size that fits the clothes at the mall. It's exponentially worse so much worse so i want to move on from talking about the medical information because maybe somebody's listening who's like i can't internalize the science of that like i really believe that my weight is thin and like and that's that's okay that's everybody it, for that's a long everybody. time it, yeah yeah i am convinced by reading things like health at every size i was like boom and now i believe but other people it's not how that works so i want to spend a couple of minutes talking about were you not convinced at all by your public health PhD sister being like, this is what the data actually says instead of what the scientists no. say about the data. When you said that, I went, what? And you said, here's health at every size, read this. And I went, oh. <laughs> and then I knew and I was convinced and boom, my whole life changed. But let's say that you haven't read health at every size yet and you just need to live between now and then with what to do. Just imagine if everything we've just said is true. 
what would that world be like? What would it change about your behaviors day to day, about how much time you spend thinking about your body shape <sighs> and size and what you eat? What if it were true? So before you go read Health at Every Size, if you can't get your hands on it right away, think about what might that be like if it were true? Is it possible that I might have a lot more time on my hands? A lot more energy to spare for other things? A lot more money to spare for other things. A lot more things. money to spare for other things. Yes. Um, I also want to say that if you should read Health at Every Size, the first half of Health at Every Size is very sciencey about like metabolism and digestion. And I found it not helpful at all. It's when they get into the history of BMI chart and kind of and also the most important thing in health at every size is the health impact of stigma, stigma. against people who have fat on their body. It's far more dangerous than the fat. Yeah, the stigma is more dangerous than the fat. That was the part of health Let's at every say size that I one found more really time. compelling. The stigma that people with fat on their bodies experience is more dangerous to their health measurably than the fat on their bodies. Yeah. So if we're going to identify like a disease by its causal mechanism that can be addressed. Yeah. Weightism, sizeism, yeah. fat phobia is the disease. It's the prejudice and the bias. that's. And it doesn't live in the body of the fat person. Nope. It yeah. lives in the body of the person who is discriminating. It's not against the fat them. person's fault. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> so let's talk about why you have been telling these stories. Like I have had some medical situations, but for me, mostly I didn't have body image problems, even though I have always been the fat twin. Like fat twins, a thing that is exists as this cultural stereotype that there's two twins. One of them is the fat twin. And I have always identified as the fat twin. And even if I believe that I was supposed to weigh 10 pounds less my whole life, I still was like, I'm the fat twin. And I accepted my body shape and size much faster. <laughs> In a way I did not. Yeah. And I think one of the main reasons why that happened to me was because of my conducting training. Um, my first conducting class was in 1995, six, seven, something around there. And one of the things you have to do as a conductor is at the time it was videotape. You bring a videotape and put it in the camcorder and then you conduct in front of the class and then you take your tape and you go stick it in a VCR and you watch it. And then you write a reflection. So I have Can been, you imagine? Yeah, being an adolescent woman in college, watching a video of yourself doing this thing you want to do for the rest of your life um, and writing a reflection about what that is. And I, the first thing I wrote was, I look like Emily. So it's not that I ignored my appearance. I did absolutely notice my appearance. And I did feel like dissatisfied with the shape of my body. But... I moved on and then talked about the conducting and the music and my gesture and the, my center of gravity and my balance. And I moved on from thinking about my body to thinking about the things that it was accomplishing. And I did that every week or at least every month for several years. And I think that training was just spending enough time not feeling like my appearance was what mattered the most. Lindy West says in Shrill that the thing to do to get over your fat phobia is look at pictures of naked people on the internet until it doesn't make you uncomfortable. And I that just yes. exposure, repeated exposure, inoculates you a little bit against the message from the external world that your size and shape is the only thing that matters about you. Let me add that both of the things Amelia has just described are versions of evidence-based interventions yeah. for improving body image or reducing body self-criticism and reducing 
internalization of the cultural thin ideal, what I just named are two risk factors for developing disordered eating. So when you prevent those things or lessen those things, internalization of the thin ideal and body self-criticism, you're preventing disordered eating, which is one of the things that kills women the most um, when they're young. Mm -hmm. So the two, the let me summarize what those two things are. One, stand in front of a mirror as close to naked as you can tolerate, naked, naked, naked. Look at what you see there and write down everything you see that you like. And the first thing that will happen is your brain will flood with all the things you have been taught are wrong with your body. Mm-hmm. That is fine. You can have those thoughts literally any other time. Right now, you're just going to look for the things that you like. If it is... The color of your eyes, write that. If it is your philtrum, the bow over your upper lip, write that. If it is your spirit, because you can see it in your eyes, write that. Anything you see that you like, your ankle bones, your fingernails. And then you do it again the next day. And you do it again the next day. You do it at least a week, better a month. And what happens is this inoculates you against the cultural constructed aspirational thin ideal, which is messages you're going to be exposed to every single day. day, Because you're exposed to it every day like a toxin, Mm -hmm. you need to every day do stuff to like process the gunk out of your body. And we're all carrying generations of this toxin inside us. And we have a lot of urging to do. So you got to take the anti-venom every day. And the second strategy Amelia described is uh, basically it's media literacy, bringing a critical eye to the media you consume and thinking about the ways it makes you feel and only exposing yourself to things that don't make you feel like shit about yourself. We know for sure from the research that people find attractive what they are exposed to. So expose yourself to an enormous variety of bodies. It's literally called the mere exposure effect. Just that we prefer the things we're familiar with. Yes, that we've been exposed to. So look at your Instagram feed. Yo, filter that Instagram feed and stop following people who keep posting about their body shape and size. Yeah. I, oh boy. Um, I very often have people tag me on Instagram because I write about body image and they post like very like proud body positive pictures of their bodies and they have six packs. Yeah. Like these women. Good. For, I mean, yay. Great. They're positive, body positive, but awesome. Everybody deserves to feel positive about your body. Totally. And I like thin people are not in any way exempt. No. From the no. bikini industrial there, complex. There they is have no not amount of, no. there's no amount of thin you can be that the world is all going to agree, you are done now, your body is fine, and you can stop working on it. You are always doing it wrong. Your body is always broken. Fitness models get criticized. Gwyneth Paltrow gets criticized. There is no perfect body. There's There's, no, you're never doing it right. Yeah. So I understand that that's happening. And I hope those people are recognizing that they're not going out into the world and are unable to buy any clothes that fit and are told by their doctors, they go in with a sprained ankle and are told that they have to lose weight. They go in with a headache and are told that they have to lose weight. So like thin folks, heal your shit. Yeah. It's just like the racism stuff. Heal your shit yeah. so that you can stop recapitulating and the damage that's done others. to people yeah. who are truly more oppressed. susceptible yeah. than you, more marginalized mm-hmm. than you. So those are the two things you should do. Begin doing them immediately. Yep. 
change your Instagram feed. Is Tumblr still a thing? I don't know. I don't think so. But much. it's so easy to get access to positive yeah. size diversity. I was on vacation last summer with um, my stepkids and my stepdaughters and one of their friends. They were all talking about their Instagram feeds. And at first it was just totally like, here's this fun thing, blah, blah, blah. But it very quickly turned into all these appearance and body shape and size and makeup requirements really? it very quickly turned into that i was like y'all you gotta unfollow like this why are you exposing yourself to this toxic shit very quickly that's as what their conversation about instagram turned into yeah we had that conversation with the journalist from was it vanity fair yeah i think so who we said curate your instagram feeds so that you're not exposed to that toxic stuff and she was like but it's so hard and I was like, unfollow. It's so How easy. is it hard? <laughs> so, you just unfollow anything that makes you feel critical of yourself. But it's it's hard because you... Okay, so we talk about this in the book too, but it's hard because you feel like you need to be told how thin you're supposed to be because if you stop telling yourself that you're supposed to change, you'll give up and you'll just be lazy because you won't be motivated to do a thing that you're really supposed to do. Yeah. So Eerie. when I was in my 20s, I definitely did have... I followed the magazine advice of putting yes. a photo of a thin person on yes. my fridge. Yes. So that anytime I went for food, I would be reminded. Yes. <laughs> about how dizzy, how problematic my body was and right. what I, nothing tastes as good as thin feels. Yes. That is not true. A moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. Yeah. Hey, first of all, like the whole calories in, calories out thing. Not true. It's not true. Not true. So, like the relationship between food and weight is not as direct as you think it is. But even if it were, it's okay to eat and enjoy pleasure and you deserve that. Yes. <laughs> Whoo! So, continue. Yes. Continue. Oh, yeah, no? When people follow diets, there is a lot of research on all the different kinds of diets, massive studies with thousands of participants. Mm -hmm. And there are meta-analyses of all of these mm -hmm. studies. Mm -hmm. And what they say is when people follow a diet, after a year, they lose five pounds. Mm -hmm. And they can maybe keep it off, but maybe not. Maybe not. So there's diets, really, yeah. very literally, if you have dieted, and it hasn't worked for you, that's because diets don't work. Yeah, that's because that's, that's you and everyone else. Yeah. So you're being lied to literally every day yeah. when you are told that diet will you change can your weight. control your body. Yeah. Is there any relationship between physical activity and the size and shape in your body or what foods you eat in the size and shape? There isn't no relationship, but it is not even close. Not even close. To what, what they tell you. You see in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had to so, say that part. Continuing my journey as the fat twin, I've basically accepted my body shape and size. I've been told my whole life that I need to like weigh less and lose weight in order for my health to be better. And at the same you know, time, the one doctor was like, weight's creeping up. Yeah. Weight's creeping up. Literally said that to me. At a, yeah. Weight's creeping up. Yeah. I had another doctor who I forgot had not about laid that. eyes on me. Yeah. Doctor walked in, eyes on his chart, and said, you could lose some weight. God. Eyes on his chart. Okay. Had not ever seen my body. Sorry. And that was another medical she, story for me. And she's also, let me say, remind you, thinner than I was our whole lives. Yeah. Like sometimes 20 pounds thinner. Anyway, at the same time, I've got all these other kind of chronic illnesses and chronic pain that's building up because I've denied the fact that I have any feelings right. and I need to like get in touch with my whatever. And like this psychological thing that relieved a lot of my physical symptoms. 
But I am being told at the same time, yes, you weigh too much. And at the same time, I'm like, man, that's fine. Like, this is what I weigh. This is what I look like. And I was never as neurotic about my appearance as you have been. Yes. Yes. I've always been more comfortable because even though I was the fat twin, I was also the pretty twin. That's how I was identified. It's true. Millie yeah. was the pretty one. Yeah. Which is not literally true. I am not prettier than Emily. I did wear makeup in high school. I really don't think that's true. <laughs> You like people can't tell us apart. Welcome to my dysfunction. <laughs> when you come when you come to my campus and you're like standing next to my office, my students think you're me. Yeah. Like if we look that much alike, there's no way that I'm the pretty one. I know. Okay. Anyway. So anyway, so I've got this have been the fat twin and the pretty twin and I've inoculated myself by watching myself on video and I just got comfortable with my appearance much earlier in life. Much earlier. I did struggle with like wearing clothes that were quote unquote flattering, especially because I'm on stage a lot and there are rules about what you wear on stage. So I want to tell the new hotness story. Oh, yep. Wearing because clothes. Because this is our ultimate solution. This is this. Yeah. So I'm like a size 14 ish and uh, I'm shopping for a gown for a performance uh, and clothes for conductors, It's a there's rules that you have to follow. So finding a gown that fits these rules is a little bit challenging. And finding them when you're on the border between straight sizes and plus sizes gets complicated for where you shop and what's available. So I'm at a little boutique designer place and I put on this dress and I was like, BAM! That's it right there! And I just felt, I didn't like look thin all of a sudden. I just felt, that's correct. That's what I should look like. This is it. Nothing about my body had changed. I just felt right. Never had that experience. In this dress. And I, I took a picture of myself on my phone in the mirror and texted Emily, I'm the new hotness. Because I think it was back when uh, Men in Black 2, 2 had come out. And there's this line that Will Smith says, new hotness, old and busted. And he's talking to, uh, what's his name? Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. That Tommy Lee Jones is old and busted and Will Smith is the new hotness. And I was like, I am the new hotness. And so that new hotness dress, I still own. It mostly still fits, like whatever. Uh, and it's uh, still it's still totally hot. And I learned this as a practice for even when I don't feel like, bam, that's right. I look and go, still the new hotness. Because it's not about what you actually look like. Yes. It's about the way you feel, the way you decide that the culturally constructed ideal is not mandatory. I don't have to conform in order to be deserving of love. So this is the game we play so that it's beyond just us changing our relationship with our own bodies. Mm -hmm. It is us changing our relationship with each other's bodies and the way we communicate about bodies and the way we view other people's bodies. Because a third evidence-based strategy is not just look at media, but look out in the world and change the lenses with which you see those other bodies. Right. Look at each person and say, she is the new hotness, or she is so beautiful, or they are so beautiful, or he is so beautiful. That person is so beautiful. That person is the new hotness. Yeah. Especially when you notice that reflexive criticism of their body, either yeah. because they don't conform to the culturally constructed aspirational ideal, and therefore they can be objects of criticism, or because they do conform with the culturally constructed aspirational ideal and you, hate and them. Yeah. you resent them yeah. because they must be really shallow and right. selfish or how yeah. ugh. I guarantee you that person has body image issues. Yeah. Because literally <laughs> every, every woman, it's so yeah. difficult it's, to get through. It's so ubiquitous. Yeah. And then 
potentially you've got that moment where you notice yourself judging someone based on the size and shape of your body. And then you take the next step of judgment and you judge yourself for being such an asshole. <laughs> but like you learned that shit from the day you were born. You learned that everybody's body had to be a certain size and shape. And like, of course, this judgment has been built into your brain, but you can unlearn it slowly over time by noticing. But let's go back to that, the day you were born. On the day you're born, many of us are lucky enough to be surrounded by grown-ups who call us beautiful and perfect. perfect. And it's true that every infant that is born is beautiful and perfect. And here is the thing I need you to know. Between that day and this one, nothing about that has changed. Your body has changed, but you did not lose the beautiful and the perfect because beautiful is not a thing bodies are supposed to be, some culturally constructed whatever. Beautiful is just what bodies are because they are our bodies. When we can practice the new hotness, like what you see, change your media consumption, you reshape your brain to view your body and everyone else's and the media you consume in a totally different way where you're protected from those and you are helping to create a bubble that protects others. Man, if you have children that you're trying to raise in a different way, this is the way. And because this is one of the darker topics that we talk about, this yeah. is so difficult, we needed a song! So I wrote a new hotness song. All right! Yeah. This is like the longest song I've written for like my silly songs, like my silly feminist songs. But I feel like it's a complicated issue and in order to get it. Okay, here we go. We're lovable and lovely. But facing the world takes nerve Cause the world has views on who we are And tells us what we deserve Like you're a supermodel on the catwalk And the BMI chart says, girl damn! But the TV says your boobs are way too small So you'll never get a man but fuck that noise, the world is wrong, and here's your true theme song. You're the new hotness, she's the new hotness, I'm the new hotness, we're all the new hotness. You're basically thin, no doctor ever told you your weight causes harm. But targeted ads say, drop five pounds, you'll deserve love when you tone your arms. Or over 200 pounds, the average weight, your fit lane bra and size. You're too thin to be the funny best friend, but too fat to be the bride. But fuck that noise, the world is wrong, and here's your true theme song. You're the new hotness, she's the new hotness, I'm the new hotness, we're all the new hotness. You don't shop at the mall at all because there's nothing there that fits. 
Just being in the world requires a fight for your right to exist. But fuck that noise, the world is wrong, let's change it with this song. You're the new hotness, she's the new hotness, I'm the new hotness, we're all the new hotness. Everyone is struggling, no one is immune. The less you conform to the socially constructed ideal, the greater is your doom. Regardless of health or wealth or stealth, your body is yours. And hotness just means deserving of love in the face of pressure to conform. The world will be safer for everybody when all of us can sing along. You're the new hotness, she's the new hotness, I'm the new hotness, we're all the new hotness. You see someone, she doesn't look like you, you feel the judgment build in your brain. But just noticing thoughts and singing this song is how we all create change. You learned that noise when you were young, and now you can teach everyone. You're the new hotness, she's the new hotness, I'm the new hotness, we're all the new hotness, you're the new hotness, she's the new hotness, I'm the new hotness, we're all the new hotness. That's that is it yeah. for the Feminist Survival Project 2020. Thank you so much for listening. If this was written, it was written by Emily Nagoski. And Amelia Nagoski. It was edited to the extent that it's edited by my marital euphemism. Music by Amelia. You can follow us on the social medias, the tweeters and the Instagrams. We are never going to post bullshit on our Instagram. You can follow us without worrying that we're going to reinforce any of that shit. I'm doing a series of morally neutral yeah, I saw photos now. Fat yeah. is morally neutral. Amelia is at Burnout Book Group. Yeah, at Burnout Book Group. That's me doing the that. I'm at E. Nagoski and the podcast is at FSP 2020. Drop us a line. Please don't send us that email that says, no, you're wrong. You're promoting an unhealthy, about, unsafe, you're glorifying obesity. Yeah. We're, we're going to block you if you do that. Yeah. yeah. Don't send us that email, but do send us the opposite. Yeah. Send us your new hotness the moment, moment you realized yeah. you looked awesome. The yeah. moment you looked at yourself and you were like, oh, yeah. yeah, this is what I'm supposed to look like. Regardless of the socially constructed ideal, that me right there, damn. We want to hear that story. I'll yeah. Thanks for listening. You're the new hotness. <laughs> <laughs>